Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about genuine faith. This is lesson number eight. And to be honest with you, we could teach on this subject for a year, wouldn't exhaust it. Uh, and if just in case you might be getting somewhat tired of listening to this same subject, let me remind all of us that the scripture is very clear that without faith, it is absolutely impossible for us to please God. So if he says it's impossible, then it's what? Impossible. Let me also remind us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, we are told that if we don't mix faith with the gospel, it doesn't benefit us. So what good is it if it doesn't benefit us? To benefit us, we've got to mix our faith with it. And Paul said, look, your life is a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Last I checked, when you're fighting, there's somebody on the other side of the ring. Right? You're not fighting by yourself. So fight a good fight of faith, and part of that fight of faith is professing or confessing a good confession among men. And in verse 13 of that, 1 Timothy 6, 13, Jesus, we're told, confessed a good confession even before Pilate and all the others that came his way. And what about um, Paul the Apostle himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27? He says, I'm fighting, but not as one that's just beating the air. You know, you can shadow box, not get a whole lot done. We need to target our faith, apply our faith principles to the mountains that we face in life. Whatever the situation might be, it could be a physical healing, it could be a financial need that you might have, it could be your marital relationship, social relationships, a work relationship, etc., etc. Whatever it is, praise God, God wants us to declare our faith in that situation and speak our faith into that situation because that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's how He moves. Praise God. So, we walk by faith. We live by faith. And the list goes on and on. We're saved by grace through faith. So without faith, we don't get a whole lot of reality. But faith makes this book a reality. So as we continue our study on genuine faith, Acts 27, 25, let's see what it says here. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Did you hear those words? Those words are easy to repeat sitting in a pew. They were in the midst of a typhoon, a cyclone, a hurricane, a Eurocladon, and they were about to go down. And Paul just calmly sits there and says, be of good cheer. I believe God. It shall be even as it was told me. Now, let me see if you've been listening. We know that genuine faith must be based on the Word of God. The Word of God can come by means of a written word or a spoken word. So, the written word is the logos. The spoken word is the rhema. So, if he's believing God that it shall be even as it was told him, is it A, logos, or B, rhema? You pass. It was a spoken word, right? Now notice this. The spoken word given to him by the angel saved 276 lives. 
Let me ask you another question. Are 276 lives important to God? Are they? Let me ask it again. There are many prisoners on that ship. Are those lives all still important to God? Let me ask again. There was only one spirit-filled, born-again spirit-filled believer on that ship. Just one that we know of. Are they still all important to God? You mean every one of them? All 276? I agree with you. Every single one of them was important to God. What we're going to do is give you the play-by-play and show us how Paul believed God and also how God works to prevent us from entering the storm. And then if we do something foolishly like disregard what he's saying and enter into it, he can still navigate us through it. Okay? Can we do that? Okay, look at book of Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 9 now. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous... Because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive. Everybody say, I perceive. He had a perception, didn't he? Something, intuition on the inside. He perceived something. What What did he perceive? He perceived that this voyage is going to be with what? Hurt, damage, and possibly even the loss of lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phenice, or some say Phenice, or Phenice, and to winter, there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So we learn some things from here. Paul had a perception in his heart. We believe that perception came from the Spirit of God. He witnessed to his spirit. Have you ever been in a situation where something on the inside kind of nudged you to do something? Like maybe call somebody on the phone. And you didn't do it. Then you found out later that they were really looking for you. And I should have called you. I should have said this. Or you should have given something to somebody. And you didn't do it. But then down the road you found out I should have done that. He had this perception on the inside. I believe inspired by the spirit. And why was that inspiration there? To warn them. So let's throw a few things that we can learn from just those sections of scripture. Number one. What we see here is that they can number one. Be protected from entering into the storm. If they would have listened to God. So God wanted to protect them from the storm. Did you hear that? The inspiration came or the intuition that they had on the inside was to protect them from entering into the storm. Now Christian Doppler wasn't born yet. Anybody know who he is? Doppler Radar. The inventor, the founder of Doppler radar, wasn't born yet. So they didn't have a Doppler radar system. They didn't know what was around the corner. But you know what? God did. God knew. And God was trying to communicate to Paul and to the others effectively, don't set sail now. But they didn't listen. 
Because you see, they didn't trust a prisoner preacher. What, what does a prisoner preacher know? Not a whole lot. So they went ahead and went out and did what they wanted to do. Number two, the decision that they made to set sail was a decision based on human reasoning. And they got that human reasoning from the owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, some of the other soldiers on board. I don't know if the prisoners had anything to do with it at all. But the weather conditions that were there. And also, Phoenice or Phoenice was a better place to port or to winter than where they were at. So they had some reasons to do what they did to set sail. Well, those reasons, you see, aren't always the right reasons for us to do things. Just because the south wind was blowing and just because the weather seemed pretty nice at that particular time, it doesn't mean that that's the right thing for a person to do. When everything looks like, feels like this is the right thing to do, that's not enough for us to do it. We need to look within and we need to look at God's perspective because his radar system is a whole lot better than ours. He sees the whole picture beginning to end and he's effectively trying to communicate to his people the things that they need to know and understand so that they can prevent entering into the storm. I believe it's even a whole lot easier for him to protect us from the storm than to navigate us through the storm. Can you see that? The problem with that, though, sometimes is this. We don't really know what we've averted or avoided. And so we think that it's not that important that maybe we listened and did the right thing. Because sometimes unconsciously we can do that. The third thing, let's throw up there, that we learn. Human reasoning isn't always right. It is not always right. It wasn't right for them. And in many cases, it's not right for us. Human reasoning will take us down a wrong path. If we follow human reasoning, then we're limited to man's finite abilities. We can only see what's in front of us. We can't see the future. But God knew what was around the corner. And God tried to communicate that to them. And Paul believed it. And Paul would have not gone on that ship, but he was a prisoner. He had to do what he was told to do. You know what? We may not see it this way, but sometimes I believe we can be prisoners of our own senses. Prisoners of our own human reasoning. Prisoners of just following the inclinations of the world. Going down this path just because that's the right way to go. We can also be prisoners of religious tradition. Traditions of men. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I just suggest that you either listen to the iPod or whatever. Talked about how the traditions of men make the word of God ineffective in people's lives. And if the word of God is ineffective, guess what? The enemy has won his victory over people's lives. The Holy Spirit has nothing to work with now because we're not operating in the word of God. We're just doing our own thing. Human reasoning is not always the right choice to make. It looks better. It sounds better. The wind is blowing. It's a southern wind. It wasn't very long before the storm brewed, which was right around the corner. Can you say amen to that? It's true. Next. Genuine faith can also be based on perception. He didn't necessarily hear a voice. He didn't read something was written. But he had this perception, which was really the witness of the Spirit within his being, 
telling him, don't do this. You know what? This is the primary way other than the word of God that the Holy Spirit tries to communicate the thoughts of God to our lives. To really witness to our spirit, this is the right thing to do. Or this is not the right thing to do. And God wants us to develop that ability to really identify the things he's speaking to us on the inside. Because look, we have a personal relationship with him. And he wants us to grow in that relationship. And the way we grow in that relationship is by learning, yes, to know his word, but also to hear his voice. And his voice can come in different ways. Like this was an angel's voice that came to Paul. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But it's also him speaking to us on the inside of us. And if we're honest with each other, then we'll probably admit the fact that many times we have failed to follow that leading of the Spirit on the inside. Here we are wanting to, God to shout it from the mountaintops, write it in the sky and all that. But he says, no, no, I'm in the still small voice. The still small voice will direct you and guide you to let you know what is the right or the wrong thing to do. And that's what he was trying to do for them. But once again, they wouldn't listen to him. The next one, much hurt. Much damage and even death can be averted by learning to listen to God. We can learn to listen to God. In September of 1994, September the 8th to be exact, at 7.03 p.m., U.S. Airways crashed in Hopewell Township. There were 132 individuals on board, and every individual lost his or her life including all the crew and all the passengers. I was actually with my brother-in-law in my basement. We were working out with weights. When this report came on the television and all the color drained from his face, he said, my brother was supposed to be on that flight. And we kind of looked at each other. He said, but, he said something on the inside, ticket in hand, ready to get on that flight, said, don't do it. Stayed back for another business meeting. He says, I'll take the next flight out, either later, or I don't remember, either later or the next day. He wasn't among those that died. He still lives. Because you see, something on the inside witnessed to him, don't go, don't do it. Think about that. Sometimes people would say then, why did God let that happen to that person? God was trying to protect them from it. We, we got to stop making God the bad guy. <laughs> He's the good guy. He doesn't still kill or destroy. He comes to bring life and that more abundantly. And so imagine this. He's trying to communicate effectively to people. Look, don't do this. Look, don't do that. But the, the question is, do we listen as we ought to listen? If you've heard of the ministry of Brother John G. Lake, who's now in glory, tremendous ministry, powerful ministry, was traveling up a mountain road one day. And while he was traveling up that road, he says, that, I heard that voice on the inside. He said, oh, dear Christian, do you know that voice? It pays to know that voice. He said, because I heard that voice say to me, pull over to the far left, which is wrong. Got to cross the yellow line, pull over to the far left, the other side of the road. And he said, but I knew that voice, and so I did. The moment he says, I pulled over to the other side of the road, a semi-tractor trailer jackknife coming down, lost control of, the, of, of the, the truck, and it swung over to his lane, 
Had he been on that side, it would have knocked him off a 100-foot cliff. He said he saw the truck go by. It regained control of the truck, and it was back on its right side, and he was fine. But if he was on that side, he would have died. And you know what people would have said? Why God let that happen? Why God let that happen? But the answer is that God didn't let it happen. He didn't want it to happen. He tried to communicate to the person, get over to the left. Do this so it doesn't happen. And because of it, he still lived. So what we're saying is we can avoid a lot of hurt, a lot of damage, a lot of injury, and even death if we listen to God's communication to us, be it by the written word, be it by the spoken word, or even by a witness of the Spirit, that's where our faith comes from. Paul had faith not to get on that boat. But you see, he was a prisoner, and based on his circumstances, he had to go. There was nothing he could do about it. So he had to go. So he went. Let's pick it up on verse 14 now. And here's what happened. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. The best way I can describe Eurachlodon, it's the only place that that word is used in all of Scripture, is this, the perfect storm. This is a northeaster wind that comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. And usually what it happens, it's usually pretty quick. But in this situation, they said because of the conditions that existed there in the Mediterranean, this, they're noted for this. But in this situation, remember he said this is 14 days now? You've been like this? Can you imagine that? 14 days being tossed to and fro. Lives are in danger. Even as skilled as they were, as sailors and all that, they were going down. This is it. There's no hope. And we'll see that in just a moment. It came out of nowhere, blindsided. You know, so the thing is this. It seems like this is the right move to make. This is the right thing to do to those that are the professionals because that's their job. But there's something out there that's beyond this natural world that we live in that God knows about. And God tried to communicate that to them and they wouldn't listen. They would rather listen to the professionals than to the preacher. And as a result, they were out there on the sea of life. Now, we can really share some things and throw some things out there when I share some of these things, don't take them like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be condemned for this. No. God will say in his word, for example, you shouldn't be yoked together with an unbeliever. And then, when you set the sail of life and you find yourself with an unbeliever who doesn't want to serve God, who doesn't want to live for God, who doesn't want to train up your children to know God, now you're having all these issues, all this hurt, all this damage, all this heartache, and all this pain. Why? Because you got yourself involved in doing something that God just specifically said don't do. Was he being mean? No. He knows the future. He knows what's out there. He knows the effect that can have on a person's life. And so the point is, he's trying to communicate to us all the time, all that we need to know to avert life's storms. Now, Look at Luke 6, chapter 46, because this is the teaching of our Lord. And sometimes I think when we read these things, we think, okay, yes, the storms of life come to all of us. And what that means is we've got to go through the storm. But is that what it really means? Does it always really mean that? Look at what Jesus said. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does what? And does them, 
I'll show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid it upon the foundation upon a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which, did, which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, he is saying the storms of life are, yes, going to come. But now, once again, let's look at it from this perspective. The doer of the word, one that hears it and does it, is the one that is doing something to prevent the storm from devastating his life. So if he says, don't engage yourself with someone who is a non-believer because they're going to take you down a wrong path and there's going to be a lot of hurt, harm, damage, injury, and etc. Then the doer of the word would do what? Don't do it. And if you don't do it, praise God, he is saying, then you can prevent a lot of heartache and pain in your life. And take that thought and take it to any area of life. In some cases, people will say, I'm going to move over here because I can get a better job and make more money. But there's not a church in that area where you can still be fed spiritually and take your children to be fed spiritually and have them in a good environment in which they can learn, et cetera, et cetera. And so what people do is they'll say, well, that looks, it's, it's more advantageous for me to go there because I can make more money. But guess what happens? They walk away from God eventually or their children don't grow up in the things of God because they didn't put really the priority, which is really the things of God first. So he is saying, look, Listen to my word. Do what I'm telling you to do. And if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, which is prioritize your lives. Put God first. Put your spouse second. Put your children third. And then from there, whether it's your, your job, your profession, your church, etc., etc. In other words, go on down the list. Prioritize your life according to what I have taught you, what I speak to you from my word. We can avert a lot of heartache and pain down the road if we will listen so that storm that might come, but praise God, we'll be prepared for it. Look at what it says in Proverbs 27, 12. These, I, I've got three different translations here for a reason. A wise man, according to Jesus, will heed the warnings of his word, and he will base his life upon the teachings that he gives. A wise man here, it says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Now, that's pretty self-explanatory, wouldn't you say? In other words, don't navigate blindly through life. Find out what God said. Get as much light as we possibly can. Because you know why? The enemy rules in darkness. Look at the next translation. This is from the Message Bible. A prudent person sees trouble coming in ducks. A simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered. I, I like that one. I thought that was pretty, pretty explanatory, wouldn't you say? Bump. And didn't they get clobbered on that sea? Ah, we're just going to believe the... The, the owner of the ship was one person. The captain of the ship was hired by the owner of the ship. Then you've got the sailors on the ship or the soldiers on the ship. Then you've got all the others that are on the ship. 276 people are on that ship. And so um, they all decided that this is the right thing to do. And so they blindly just go into it, not realizing that the direction that Paul was given came from the one who navigates all of life, who knew the storm was around the corner, but yet did not prepare for it. Uh, by the way, let me just throw something out to you. You may not know this, and so don't feel bad if you don't. You're going to die someday. 
if you didn't realize that, I'm sorry for just throwing it out there so bluntly. You are. Unless Jesus comes in clouds of glory and takes us away, right? What's more important than being prepared for that? Why go through life blindly thinking that oh, it may not happen? It's going to happen. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, right? Which is why the Holy Spirit is trying to woo people, even when they're not saved, to convince people of their lost condition so that they don't continue to navigate through life blindly because there is an eternity that we're all going to enter into. Because we're living in the land of the dying, and we die, we go to the land of the living. And where we spend our eternal living is determined by the decisions we make in this land of the dying. And the best decision you can make, don't leave here without Jesus. Can you say amen? The last translation is the Living Bible. A sensible man watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. The simpleton never looks and suffers the consequences. Think about it. We need to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. Why? Because we know we have an enemy out there who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's devising a plan of attack against us and wants entry points into our lives. It's up to us to find out what the Word of God says about things and act on what God said in His Word. So it's important for us to know that these storms are out there, number one. Number two, God wants us to avert the storms. He wants us to be protected from the storms. It is so important that we understand that, that we do something to see to it that we cooperate with Him so that His power can prevent us from being devastated by those storms. You've heard me give the testimony of my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lisa. And when she jumped out of a car and almost got run over by a truck, and she darted out, I forget how old she was, eight, nine, somewhere around there, and, and went to run across the street. I was just holding up the seat because it was a two-door car, and I was holding up the street, and she, or, or the, the seat. She jumped out, and I don't even know how it happened. I just went like this. All I saw was that truck from out of my peripheral vision coming down 55 mile an hour, and somehow I latched onto her wrist and pulled her back, and the truck sped by 55 mile an hour and more was going fast and the moment she banged against the side of the car I heard these words in my spirit words I say to this day every day of my life in your pathway is life and there is no death I say in my pathway is life and there is no death but it came back to me in my spirit, in your pathway is life and there is no death. And I know that was the voice of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit inside me, letting me know that all those times I say that are not in vain. To confess your good confession before many witnesses, to say what God has spoken, to say what God has said. He said some things so we can say some things. He said, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we may boldly say, the Lord's my helper and I will not fear what man should do unto me. Amen? We got to boldly say what he said. I'm not imitating somebody else's faith. This is my faith. This is me believing in what God said, me embracing it, speaking it, saying it in faith, believing that God will honor his word. And you know what? If you really believe something, then you're going to do it. You're going to say it. Jesus confessed a good confession before Pilate. 
We're to confess a good confession. That's called fighting the good fight of faith. So what is your situation that's out there? What's my situation that's out there? Guess what? We've got to be speaking the word over it. We've got to proclaiming the word over it. Find out what the word says. Embrace that truth and start saying, this is what you said, Lord. This is what you said. And I know what you say is what comes to pass. And so I'm going to harmonize with your will. I'm going to agree with your word. And I'm going to declare it over my life or my situation or whatever. Look at the next verses. Acts 27, 18. The severity of the storm. Now remember, they could have been protected from this, but they wouldn't listen to the preacher. Right? Am I right? If they would have listened to the preacher, would they have been there? No. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. How much hope? All hope. That's it. We're doomed. We're dead. We're going under. You see, when we set sail on the sea of life, we need to know there are storms that will come our way. For us to navigate through life, it's important that even before they come, we are prepared by making right choices and making right decisions that honor God. You can never go wrong by making a decision that honors God. In any facet of life, we could never go wrong by making a right decision based on the Word of God, based on that Word, whether it's written, whether it's spoken, or given to us by the Holy Spirit. Thank God. Or perception in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. Acts 27, 21. Now we catch up to where they were at earlier. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. My paraphrase would be, I told you so. I told you so. You should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. And to have gained, what did they gain? Harm and loss. They thought they were gaining something good. They were going to a better haven. Where they were at might have been not as comfortable and plush. Whether they were at, maybe the environment wasn't all that great. So they wanted to go to a place that was more plush, a better, say, environment conducive to what, you know, they wanted and what they needed. But God says, you can't look at it that way. He had a better perspective. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Now, could God have prevented that? Could they have prevented that loss of that ship? And the cargo and the leading of the ship? Sure they could have. But did they? No. Why? Because they would not listen. For there stood by, here's why. They, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Oh, let's camp there for a moment. There stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am, I belong to God, and whom I serve. Not only do I belong to him, but I serve him is what he is saying. The God that I trust in, the God that I believe in, has sent his angel to tell me something. And you know, I could probably look at it this way. Let's say that it was Gabriel, the, the uh, messenger angel. Let's say Gabe came along and he, he's talking to Paul. He said, Paul, they should listen to you. They should listen because that was the Holy Ghost in you telling them not to go, but they didn't listen to you. But that's okay, be of good cheer. 
Because I've got a message to you straight from the throne of Almighty God. Even though you got yourself into this pickle, this, this problem, this situation, I've got a message for you to give to them now. Sirs, be of good cheer. Look what he says. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told to me. Oh, praise God. Even though we make mistakes and maybe don't listen, thank God there's always another chance. Thank God that he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. Thank God he's still merciful. Okay, so number one, the angel gave him a rhema, right? He got the rhema from, from the angel. And number one, they should not have loosed and set sail. So that was, even though he wasn't condemning them over that, he was letting them know that that's the reason for the problem. The reason for the problem is not God putting you through a storm to test you like some people think. God's trying your faith. That's not God at all. That was meant for their destruction. So number one, had they obeyed God and did what God said and didn't lose from Crete to go and sail, what would have happened? They'd have been safe. And also the ship and all the lading of the ship. Okay, number two, every person's life was saved. Every person on that ship, all 276 individuals were saved. Their lives were spared. God is a merciful God. But the reason why they were spared is because of one person that was on that ship. And his name was Paul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle. Because he was on that ship because he had favor with God. Because he had an appointment. If you're ever going to go set sail, go with someone who knows God who has an appointment to keep. If you're ever going to fly on a plane, go with someone that knows God, and it should be you, and make yourself an appointment that you've got to get to, to get back to. Okay? The angel said, you've got to go to Rome. You've got to go before Caesar. So you can't die. How about this one? It's how to be indestructible. He couldn't die. You can't die, Paul. You've got to go see Caesar. God has a plan. It has to be fulfilled. And so therefore, not only will you be spared, but all those that sail with you will be spared. But look at the next one. You must stay on board. Another directive. Look at verses 27 through 31. Another directive. This means we still have responsibility. See, once again, I think people want God to take all the responsibility. People think that God is God. He's got to do it all. No, no, no. That's not how it works. He tells us what to do, expects us to do it. Then he'll back us up. But when the 14th night was come and we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then, now notice this, fear sets in again. Fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern. Now once again, this is human reasoning acting right? In fear, which is okay. They want to save their lives and wish for day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, were they ready to go? Were they, were they getting ready to flee the ship? Mm-hmm. Under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the fore ship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. 
Now they've got another choice to make. They have a decision to make. Everything within them says, this is what we have to do. We've got to look out for ourselves. We've got to let down this little boat. Now, can all uh, 276 fit on that little boat? <laughs> no way. Can you imagine clamoring over one another? I'm getting in. No, you're not. I'm getting in there. And then, and then fighting over who's going to get in to be saved. And beside all that, are they really going to be saved? And he said, except you take responsibility and do what we're telling you to do now, you cannot survive. So look at the next verse. And these next verses. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Notice they had to disconnect. They had to cut the ropes. Sometimes we just got to cut the ropes. And just say, I'm trusting you explicitly, Lord. I'm looking to you explicitly, Lord. In this situation, I am going to trust you so much. I'm going to be like Paul and Silas. I'm going to take my petition to you in prayer, and I'm going to praise you till the cows come home. I'm going to praise you and praise you and praise you and praise you for the victory. They cut themselves off from any natural help. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, he gave thanks to God, communion, in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer. Nothing's changed. But now they're of good cheer. And they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship, 200, three score and 16, 276 souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, cast out the wheat into the sea. Now they got rid of everything that could have been important to them. The lading of the ship, all the food that was on the ship, all the cargo that they were carrying, it's all gone. Complete abandonment to God. All right, number one. We still have a choice to make between human reasoning and listening to God even when the situation is a fearful one. That's what faith is all about, is it not? Trusting God beyond what we could do to help ourselves. I mean, they had that ship, ready, that little boat ready to go, man. And it was every man for himself, but they had to cut the ropes. That's speaking to someone's heart right now. It's time to cut the ropes. Cut the ropes and look to God. That means we have a responsibility. Do you remember Rahab, the harlot? And do you remember she was told that the only way you can be saved is if your family's in that house? Because if your family's not in that house, their blood's on them. If they're in that house and they die, their blood's on us. Who had the responsibility to do the right thing? They did. Once again, people of this, are of this mentality. If he's God, that means God's going to do it all. No, he's not. He's done it all. It's up to us to, by faith, tap into what he's done and by faith access the grace of God, unleashing it on our behalf so God can finish what he wants to do in this earth in our lives. So it's up to us to do our part. We must also cut off the ropes like they did and put our trust in God. Also, getting rid of the cargo, what does that teach us? There's something more valuable, something more precious than the things that we possess in this realm of life. And what is that? Our lives. 
Our lives are of greater value than anything else that we possess or own. And when you leave this realm of life, you're taking nothing but yourself and those that will hear you. We're leaving it all behind. And sometimes when it, it takes that. We've got to get to that place. It doesn't matter. I'm leaving it all behind. I am surrendering myself completely to the living God. To live for him, to honor him, to obey him, to carry out his purpose, to do his will for my life. And my trust is explicitly in you, Lord. Every life was saved. Look at verse 40 through 44, and we'll close it. Every life was saved after they abandoned every human effort to save themselves. Can a man save himself? No. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. So you can imagine what the storm was like. And the soldiers counsel was to kill the prisoners. Now another dilemma arises. Let's kill these prisoners. Lest any of them should swim out and escape. And why were they saying that? Because they were responsible for the prisoners. And if they escape, then these soldiers die that were watching them. But the centurion willing to save Paul. You talk about favor. Of all 276 Who's God's eye on? Paul. Willing to save Paul because Paul was in the will of God. He was at the right place at the right time doing, with the right heart doing the right thing. Because of it being a prisoner, of course, he had to be out there, which he would have never done it. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose. And commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escape all safe to land. Wow. Imagine yourself being in that situation, that perfect storm, all those days, and it seems like all hope is gone. There's no way we can be saved. We are going under. You know, we could all get to the brink of that situation, but we think that our situation is never going to change. Maybe you're believing for your child to come back to God, and you're almost about to give up. Don't for a moment, if anything Look to God and say, is there something more you want me to do? I will stand in the gap. I will make up the hedge. I will proclaim the truth of your word. It could be you're standing for your marriage in a marital situation. Don't give up the fight. It's a fight of faith. You're not beating the air. You're standing for a purpose and for the purpose of God, for reconciliation or whatever it might be. But make a decision, both individuals, whether it's for your child or for your marriage uh, for the health of a child or whatever. You know, what we've gone through with Andrew. You know, we, I can't even explain what it's like with all the storm that's coming and all the situation that's emerging. And it seems like all hope is gone. And they tell you, the professionals say he can't live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all you get from God to navigate the storm are four words. Fear not, only believe. But what powerful words, what life-changing words, what course-changing words. You know, sometimes here's the issue of faith. Sometimes we don't wait long enough to hear from God by His Spirit or to read from the Word of God to, 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 to have the Spirit quicken that Word to us to make it a reality. Because I assure you, 
when we get the word from God, which is the basis for our faith, and we embrace that truth of God's word, and we hold it up to heaven before the throne of God and say, God, all Father, you said you would not flood the world because you made a promise to Noah. And every time I see the rainbow in the sky, you can't flood. The now, you have got the ability to do it, but you will not and you cannot do it. That gives me an anchor for my soul, a blessed hope that I have. I know I can trust God to follow through and do what he said to do. So in my situation, whether it's physical, whether it's my health, whether it's my finances, whether it's my marriage, whether it's my child, whatever it might be, we've got to get a hold of a word from God. Did you notice the Holy Ghost did nothing in the beginning until the word was spoken? And then when the word was spoken, he began to move and did everything, all the acts of creation. God spoke the word and what? That all things came into being. He commanded and they were created. Right? So what our situation is whatever it is, find out what God is saying. Find out what God is telling you. You know what? And I'm going to close this, I think, as quick as I possibly can here. This country is in need of the hand of God. Can you say amen to that? It's not about Democrat. It's not about politics. It's about God and the devil. That's what it's about. And the thing is, it's time that we as Christians wake up. Because we're the ones that stand in the gap and make up the hedge. You can't expect the non-believer to say, what's God's will in this situation? Can you? Can you expect that? Look, I'm going to give you just one simple little message next week. Since it's the, day, it's the week before our election. Okay? One little statement. Listen to me here. Do you know that in the late 1700s and 1800s, 1776, right? And then right on. Do you know in those first hundred years before elections, every pastor preached what is called an election sermon on the Sunday before an election? Did you know that? They did. And guess what? You ready for this? The politicians came in and sat in the pews. They wanted to know what God had to say about public policies. Which is why we have... In our government buildings, the Ten Commandments with Moses standing there, even though they've altered that and said that that's not true, but it's true. It's been there forever. Because our laws that govern our land were based upon biblical principles. Now, today, if you were to say that, you know what you hear? Separation of church and state. Nowhere found in the Constitution whatsoever. Nowhere. You say, are you getting political? Absolutely not. No, I'm getting righteous. Because when righteousness rules the land, the people are happy. Our vote is not for a person. Not at all. It's not who we vote for. It's what we vote for. So they would sit in the pews and they would listen. So that they would know what God wanted. Isn't it time we get back to knowing what God wants? Isn't it? What do you want? Because it's not working. And that's about standing in faith for our nation. We've print, repented, we've been on our faces and all that, but you know what? I believe we're all getting this. Stand in faith for your nation. Believe God for your nation. And that's what I want to talk to us about. 
Start believing God. I believe your hand is upon this nation with great power. I believe that you are moving in a powerful way upon this land that we live in. I believe, and so we're believing as it was told us. We need to do it as believers. Amen. All right. Conclusion. Storms of life are going to come to all of us. That doesn't mean you have to go through it. Did you hear that? Doesn't mean you have to go through it. Are you listening? How to avert it? Did, did you hear that? Are we listening how to avert it? Because God's number one thing is avert it. How do I avert it? By getting his mind and then declaring it. God, this is what you said. This is what I'm going to do. Be a doer of the word. And when the storm comes, can't devastate me. 